Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a weekly podcast where we stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, helping you get the best results from your marketing efforts. Now let's join our hosts, Paul Avery and Martin Broadhurst. Welcome to episode 25 of Artificially Intelligent Marketing. It's Paul Avery here. And this time I'm not joined by my colleague, Martin Broadhurst, because he is on tour at Inbound 2023 HubSpot's marketing conference. And we'll hear from Martin at the end of the show as he tells us what he feels were his top takeaways, lots of generative AI in there. And we've also got a few interviews that Martin was able to record while on site at the show. So with us picking up from Martin later on, it's my job today to take you briefly through the AI news that we saw this week. And we're going to start with Slack. So Slack is introducing a new AI tool designed to help users navigate the workspace of Slack more efficiently. The tool is going to be called Slack AI, and it's going to be tested this winter. And it's going to offer features like summarizing threads and recapping channel highlights. It also brings a more advanced search function that effectively allows users to um, ask questions in natural language questions, and then the tool's going to provide a summary against those questions and then links to any relevant conversations from Slack. In addition to launching Slack AI, uh, Slack is also going to launch Slack Lists, which is a feature to help users track projects and tasks within their teams, a little bit like what you'll see if you're using project management apps like Asana, or if you're used to using database apps like Airtable. Slack is also enhancing its integration capabilities with a new workflow builder that where the aim is to simplify the addition of third-party apps into your Slack ecosystem. So this news comes as a follow-up to previous efforts by Slack um, to leverage AI with the introduction of their chat GPT bot for assisting in things like message replies. Um, and so ultimately, this is the ongoing evolution of Slack as a tool, baking AI to try and make things easier for its users. If you're a marketer in a marketing team that uses Slack, then hopefully these new features are going to make it easier for your team to collaborate. Certainly the ability to access summarized conversations is going to aid in more efficient communication. Um, and those Slack lists may help you better with project management. So I think this is one of those things that if you're a Slack user, jump on in, have a little play. Um, once we start to see this emerge at the back end of this year and see if it improves your experience, is it worth adopting Slack because of this new tool? My suggestion would probably be not, um, but of course Slack has a number of other benefits. And if you were considering the tool, then this might be the one that nudged you over and made you think, oh yeah, we'll give that one a go. So moving on from Slack, now we're going to talk a bit about Anthropic. So we've talked a fair bit about Anthropic on the podcast in the past. They are the developers of the Athlord chatbot, which is a competitor to ChatGPT. And in essence, what Anthropic have done is roll out a paid plan for Claude 2, which is going to be available in the US and the UK to start with. Now, though, people who have uh, listened to the podcast know that there's a few things that we love about Claude 2 compared to ChatGPT. So for example, Claude 2 has a much larger context window of up to around 75,000 words. So there's lots of cool stuff that you can do with it that's much easier than with ChatGPT, like having it summarize large documents. 
It also produces its outputs nice and quickly. And, and Claude 2, since it was released, has shown that it's much better at more complex reasoning. A couple of episodes ago, Martin went so far as to say that it's actually now part of his go-to workflow. So as a power user, he's probably going to need this new Claude Pro plan because it's going to offer five times more usage um, than just the free part at a monthly fee of $20. So in essence, if you pay for Claude Pro, you're going to be able to use it a lot more without maxing out your capacity within the tool. You're also going to get priority during peak times and Anthropic promises early access to upcoming features. So it's quite interesting to see this from Anthropic with them positioning this premium offering of Claude 2 is basically them competing pretty much directly with OpenAI's ChatGPT+, which is the paid version. Um, so this is quite interesting to see. I think as marketers, the introduction of Claude Pro is part of this wider battle of the bots, right? And the key question remains, will Claude 2 carve out its niche in a market where ChatGPT Plus already has a major stronghold? We have also talked in the past about the release of Google Duet. So having generative AI tools baked into Gmail, Google Slides, Google Sheets, etc. And there are a number of companies currently testing Windows Copilot and Office 365 Copilot, um, and that should be released fairly soon to the rest of us as well. Um, and of course, that brings generative AI into the tools that people use every day, like um, PowerPoint, Word, Gmail, Sheets, and all, all of that good stuff. So this is just another story in the rapidly evolving space of generative AI tools for, for brainstorming, reasoning, content creation, etc. And I think as a marketer, it's just about staying on top of all these different news items so that you can get a feel for what the landscape looks like, what tools might be best for different applications and use cases, and just the types of pricing as well. Because I think seeing the price of Claude 2 be similar to ChatGPT is not a surprise. And in many ways, maybe ChatGPT Plus has set the bar there for what people are happy to play, uh, pay in order to access these tools. And we may see others follow suit there. The next story uh, is about Microsoft. And according to the AI newsletter, the Neuron, one of our favorite newsletters, Microsoft has stated that they'll shoulder any legal expenses if your business encounters legal challenges from using their AI offerings. If this sounds a bit familiar to you, then that's probably not a surprise because Adobe has made a comparable commitment in, uh, in the past for its AI tool, Firefly. So the backdrop here is that a number of AI companies, call, um, including Midjourney, GitHub Copilot, OpenAI, have all faced legal actions for allegedly utilizing creative content to train their models without proper permissions. And as you might expect, the scenarios made some businesses hesitant to use the tools um, because of any potential issues that they then may find themselves in if they're, if they're using them. But when you see Microsoft make a move like this, it's another interesting attempt to really give customers confidence that they can trust the tools that they're using, not just in terms of how the tools were trained, but also in terms of what data that you give them um, and how much you can trust the information that you're being put in won't be used to further train the models or for other purposes that you haven't signed up to. And ultimately, these types of moves are mostly, I think, targeted at large enterprise customers 
who might not have had confidence to step in and use tools like um, ChatGPT and other tools. I think with the release of ChatGPT Enterprise and now Microsoft promising to cover legal um, costs if you if you get into hot water, the generative AI battle is on to attract high-value enterprise customers. And if you work at one of those sort of larger companies or maybe more risk-averse companies and you've been itching to get your hands on these types of generative AI tools at work, then your wait might soon be over. Next, we're talking Zoom and uh, the popular digital video meeting and webinar software. And Zoom has rolled out its AI companion. So the new assistant, previously known as Zoom IQ, offers a range of functionalities that include things like if you're late to a meeting, it will provide you a quick written recap. It's very good at summarizing meetings, pinpointing key discussions and outlining actionable next steps. And it can even assist users in crafting chat responses in the Zoom chat tool. And there's more that Zoom promises will be coming to the, the tool because it promises that at some point it will aid in drafting emails, offer chat message summaries, recognize meeting intents in chat conversations, and even support brainstorming on a digital whiteboard. Coolest part about all of this is that Zoom is going to offer this to paid subscribers with no additional charge. This is fairly awesome. I'm a user of Loom. I love Loom for screen recordings, and they've been beta testing AI-driven um, title creation, uh, chapters for videos, video summaries. And I found it pretty useful. It's a bit hit and miss. I think it gets things wrong. And I thought, oh, this is a really nice addition to the tool that, um, that I really, it's kind of cool. I think it's a bit buggy so that I'm not entirely sure I'd trust it commercially. But then Loom said this week or last week that you now need to pay if you want to access Loom AI. And I understand, right? It costs money to access AI-driven tools, and um, these companies have to make, make that money back somewhere. But I think it's very, very interesting that Loom are looking to charge users. I certainly won't be paying for the AI tool, honestly. I don't think it's worth, worth the extra money. But Zoom is saying you will have it for free. We talked a little bit earlier about ChatGPT and Claude Pro sort of setting a market expectation of paying $20 a month for that type of generative AI bot experience. If Zoom are going to offer AI-driven tools as part of their existing subscriptions without increasing their subscription fee, which of course there's no guarantees that won't come later down the line. But if that was the case, it'd be a very interesting pricing bar to set that if you're a meeting tool like Teams, Google Me, then for the meeting-driven benefits um, on their own, you probably can't afford to charge much extra because people can get that cool AI wizardry within Zoom as part of their existing subscriptions. If you're a marketer and you use Zoom, either for webinars or for your internal meetings, then of course, all of the features and benefits that we've discussed in this particular um, news story so far will, be, um, will be a benefit to you. And if you're already using additional paid tools like Otter or Tactic to record meeting transcriptions and generate AI-driven summaries, it might be possible that you can just go all in on Zoom and drop some of those other tools you've been using. So again, another very interesting space to watch. The next story is about Sprig. Now, Sprig is known for its in-app surveys and Sprig has launched a new feature named AI Analysis for Surveys. So this tool uses generative AI 
to delve into survey data and offer immediate insights. What sets it apart is its ability to turn survey data into a conversational AI interface. So in effect, what you can do is you can directly ask your survey results questions in a natural language chatbot style way, and the AI will sift through the data, including qualitative responses, so long form text responses, potentially, to provide relevant insights. Ryan Glasgow, which is Spring's CEO, highlighted that users can pose custom questions to their survey data and the AI will analyze the entirety of the responses to provide answers. And in a move to make their tools more accessible, Sprig has broadened its free plan, now encompassing in-product surveys, session replays, and open text AI analysis. So if you do lots of surveys, either for market research, um, messaging creation, customer analysis, I think it's probably worth going and have a little look at what Sprig are doing. Um, because you might find that this new AI-driven analysis tool is beneficial for you. Especially given that traditional survey analysis can be quite labor-intensive, especially if you are using surveys that have those open-ended text answers. It would be interesting to see if when you're playing with Sprig's AI analysis to surveys, if you can really pull out insights and trends for that information that you then double-check manually and just see how good the AI is. Because if it's good, could really change how market research is done, how customer sentiment analysis is done. And of course, if we're seeing this type of thing being released by Sprig, then expect to see it perhaps in other tools like um, Typeform or SurveyMonkey or other, other tools that you can use for market research. I know I've not used Sprig before, but I think I'm going to go and explore that and see, uh, and see how powerful it is. So the next story is not strictly a marketing story, but it was just too cool to not include. Um, and it's from Amazon. So this week, Amazon introduced a new technology called Amazon One, allowing customers to use their palm for activities like payments, loyalty card presentation, and age verification. Create the system, Amazon utilized generative AI to produce millions of synthetic palm images, a method known as synthetic data. And this approach enabled Amazon to train their model effectively, achieving near 100% accuracy. So in essence, you can imagine going into a shop and you don't need your, your card, you don't need your phone, you don't need your watch. You just hold your palm above a scanner and that's how you pay. So you go out pretty much with nothing and you can still pay just using your palm. Amazon has interestingly emphasized the system's privacy features. So Amazon One operates beyond the usual light spectrum, so it can't recognize things like gender or skin tone. And the primary purpose, Amazon says, is to match a unique identity with a payment method, not to be able to identify individuals in any way outside of that, you know, asterisk, asterisk. So I can see that there might be possible privacy issues here, whether this technology actually takes off or not is going to be an interesting one. There's lots of companies working on the power of things like retinal scans to provide this same sort of capability, but Obviously, having your retina scanned um, is, a, is a potentially a bit more technically challenging and also not a great user experience compared to just waving your palm over something. So, yeah, not technically a marketing story, but wanted to include it this week because it sounded really cool. Next story is that you can now access a new Canva plugin if you are a ChatGPT Plus user, which makes it simpler to create visuals such as logos and social media banners. Now, before this integration, to combine the powers of Canva and ChatGPT was a bit of a task. 
And with the plugin, it's a bit more straightforward. How it works is you go into ChatGPT and you go to the plugin store, you install the Canva plugin, and then you select it when you are adding your prompt. You describe the visual you want in the chat box, prompt box, and then ChatGPT will present some design options to you, which in my experience, playing with the tool has been based on Canvas's existing templates. You choose one, and then you'll be redirected to Canva to go make the edits that you need to make, and then you can download your file from Canva. As this is a plugin, you can obviously only access it if you're a ChatGPT Plus subscriber at $20 a month, because you don't get plugin access with the free version of ChatGPT. What does this mean for marketers? Well, it could potentially streamline your ChatGPT Canva design process. Um, so you could probably end up with slightly faster production workflows. Although I have to say in my quick tests, it mostly acted like a smart search for finding good templates among all the options available. And let's be honest, Canva does have huge amounts of templates and it's sometimes a bit of a pain searching or scrolling through them looking for a good one. But in essence, you use ChatGPT, you say, look, I need a template that's going to be perfect for this use case. And then it surfaces three for you to choose from. And if you don't like them, then you can ask it to show you some more and you can give some direction on, oh, no, these were a bit too much like A and what I was really looking for was B. So I think it may be, at least in my early tests, looks like um, a fairly powerful quick search for Canva templates, but certainly I couldn't get it to do anything really interesting, like starting to influence the design from within ChatGPT. I had to go edit the template directly in Canva. So kind of cool, maybe not quite as exciting as it sounds on the surface. Right. The last story this week is about Gizmodo. So uh, Gizmodo is a tech publication that's owned by Geo Media. And this week, Geo Media has decided to lay off the editors in its Spanish language site, Gizmodo en Español. In place of the human editors, they're now leaning on AI to handle translations. So before this change, Gizmodo en Español had a dedicated team producing original content and also adapting English articles for their Spanish readers. But now articles on the site carry a disclaimer indicating that they've been translated by AI which might lead to slight content variations. So in essence, no custom content is being created for the Spanish readers now. It's all being translated directly from any English content that's being created by those teams within Gizmodo. As you can imagine, in the early days of why we figure out these tools, there hasn't, it hasn't gone flawlessly. There's been some hiccups. So some readers have noticed that articles can start in Spanish and then unexpectedly switch to English. Uh, and it's also worth noting that GeoMedia's initial foray into AI written articles in July encountered issues with factual inaccuracies. So a lot of the issues that we know with generative AI very much front and centered here. The GMG union, which represents the writers, as you would imagine, have voiced their concerns over this move. They hired that GeoMedia has previously suggested that AI would complement human writers, not replace them. The union also pointed out the uncertain future faced by the site's employees. So what does this mean for us as marketers? Well, of course, there's multiple levels here. Um, Gizmodo is not the first publication to explore or use generative AI to produce content. Most of the examples we get to hear about in the news are usually when it goes wrong for obvious reasons, but certainly we do know that other publications have been doing some of this, uh, and I suspect many more are. But I think what's really interesting for us as marketers is that this is a, another sign of that changing media landscape. 
So if you're a PR professional, for example, we're really going to have to think about how we adapt to a world where your press releases and pitches might be read and translated by AI before they even reach a human journalist, if indeed they ever do. And then the precision of the language that they're using in our press releases, et cetera, becomes paramount, right? Because any ambiguity or cultural nuance might be lost or misinterpreted by an AI tool, which could lead to miscommunication or missed opportunity. So I think that's just a risk for the publications, but it's also a risk for us. Secondly, building relationships is at the heart of PR. If we're seeing fewer human editors that are themselves being replaced, sadly, in, in some cases by AI, then the traditional approach of cultivating relationships with journalists and editors is both much more important because you really need to identify those high-profile pro- high journalists and editors in your industry um, that have such a powerful voice as that it would be folly for their publications to, to try and replace them with AI and build strong relationships with those people. But we also need to understand how the media are using technology probably more than ever before. And I think one thing's for sure, the more publications lean into AI-generated content, we might see that their appetite for things like contributed editorial um, from companies or even our press releases that we send them, it could reduce over time, right? Because they might not need to rely on those interactions with companies as much as they can just leverage generative AI to produce content. Of course, we can have a very long conversation about how good that AI-generated content is going to be. But if that ability for us to add value to the publishers through contributed editorial is lessened, we may see that earned media opportunities dry up even more and are replaced by pay-for-play or pay-for-appearance opportunities instead. So I think there's a a layer underneath all of this where as a a marketer or a communicator, as a PR pro especially, we have to look at what's going on in the media and really think, how is this going to really impact on our approach to PR and media relations? So that's all the stories for this week. Martin's going to be back in the UK. In fact, I think he's landing about now and he'll be with me again on the podcast next week. From here, we're going to segue into learning a little bit more about what Martin found out Inbound 23 in Boston this week. Hello, everyone. This is Martin coming to you from Boston, where I've just attended the HubSpot conference Inbound 23. This was a conference packed full of AI right from the get-go, to be honest. Yamini Rangan, the CEO of HubSpot, opened with a keynote that really set the tone for what we could expect. Yamini honed in on the major tech changes, particularly generative AI, entering the picture in a big way over the past year. And she claims that we're stepping into an age of intelligence where AI isn't just data crunching anymore. Instead, AI is about generating new content, new insights, and importantly for a organization like HubSpot and its customers, new experiences. For businesses that get this right, the rewards are massive. She spoke about some research they'd done at HubSpot, which identified the fastest growing companies and what made them different. And it was companies that were generating the best customer connections. She said they're growing five times faster than their competitors. Her advice was to start small, but act fast. Some practical tips that she gave were to get chatbots added onto the website. 
if you can get AI powered chatbots resolving customer queries, it can make a big impact. So much so that HubSpot's own AI powered chatbot is now successfully resolving 78% questions it receives automatically. She also recommended that you pivot your content strategy. So she's talking about creating more content and more experiences with AI helping the distribution, but not necessarily just the generation. You need human expertise, podcasts, video content, audio content, uh, with AI assisting the production, but not the sole driver of it. So let's uh, just switch gears slightly and uh, have a look at what Dharmesh Shah, who was one of the co-founders of HubSpot, I think he's the chief technical officer still. Uh, this is a guy that fell in love with generative AI very early on. Uh, in fact, he said that he even had some uh, intriguing conversations with OpenAI CEO Sam Altman when GPT-3 launched and he managed to get early access to the model. Uh, another interesting tidbit he said was that he's a, an early investor in OpenAI. So I'm sure that's going to pay dividends for him personally. Uh, he highlighted the McKinsey report that said that generative AI is poised to add between 2.6 trillion to 4 trillion annually across all sectors. And that report highlighted sales, marketing, and customer service as being the business functions where generative AI will make the biggest impact. As HubSpot has sales, marketing, and customer service hubs in its core offering, you can see why they might be excited about this. So Darmesh urged everyone to get their hands on next-gen CRMs that are full of rich data, but driven by AI. Getting these insights uh, pulled out of the data so that you're able to deliver better customer experiences. So think of it as AI and data on steroids working on tandem with human skills, whether it's sales reps, marketers, or customer support reps, delivering highly personalized experiences for the customers. Now let's get into some of the nitty gritty on the actual product updates that HubSpot is rolling out. If you are a HubSpot customer, there are some really exciting uh, developments here. And the first thing I want to say is that HubSpot AI is being baked into everything. It's not just a sprinkling of AI here and here and there. This is a full-on integration of AI across the HubSpot product lineup. And I think we saw that from the roadmap that they had published on the website. Everything from understanding customer content and company data, it's promising to bring forward new levels of automation to the system. So back to what Yamini said earlier, she was talking about bringing chatbots onto your website. This is one of the tools that they're bringing forward. They're also doing prediction models and we should see in the future virtual agents working seamlessly to make your life as a marketer or a sales rep or whatever your role may be a little bit easier. So getting into the specifics of it, they've uh, announced a content assistant image creation tool. So the content assistant already existed. You could sign up and get it in beta, but now they've added uh, image creation to this. I think it's running on Dali. 
but I'm not entirely sure that they didn't, uh, or at least I didn't hear the specifics as to which model they were actually using. So I mentioned uh, Content Assistant. They've also launched Campaign Assistant. So you can input your goals, your audience, and your brand voice, and then let AI whip up the whole marketing campaign, which is kind of accurate, but not wholly. Uh, right now, it doesn't automatically generate all of the assets, but in discussions that I had with the product team, it seems like the longer term vision is to have AI agents actually doing this autonomous, autonomously uh, for you. That is a very exciting project. Imagine AI building whole campaigns for you based on data and insights it has all autonomously gathered from your CRM and customer data. You know, being able to segment an audience and say, we think this is going to perform well. And look, I've created the landing page. I've created the AdWords copy. I've created the follow-up emails and the form, and it's done it all for you. That, <laughs> that is a real game changer. But I want to be clear, we're not there yet. And uh, who knows whether we'll ever actually get there. One of the tools I was most excited to see was the AI website builder. Many of us have spent hours, if not days, fumbling around with different website designs and layouts. And this tool aims to take that pain away. You describe your business, your preferences on style, and voila, it will come up with a tailored site, including layout styles and pre-written content all through GPT 3.5. A few observations on this. It follows very much a wizard UI interface. So you can put in some detail and there's a text box actually where you can describe your business and it's limited to 500 characters in your description. The more detail you put in there, the better the copy will be across your site. It seems like actually when you choose the style, what it's doing is it's picking a template and you know, choosing some fonts and some colors based on that style, but you're limited to say 12 options and it might be like minimalist or fresh, or these are the kind of terms that it uses and you just choose minimalist and then it will create a minimalist looking, uh, website. It pulls images from stock image libraries and adds them into the website. And basically you get a done for you responsive website in seconds. What was really interesting was the response that this got on partner day. Uh, so lots of marketing agencies, design agencies in the room. And when they launched this product product, um, yeah, the, the response was somewhat, uh, muted, shall we, shall we say it's an interesting development. It's nothing like the Wix AI tool that has been previewed recently. That looks to be a whole different level, but we haven't actually seen that in the wild yet. So maybe that's just a style over substance until we get our hands on it. Next up was the AI chatbots. Now these aren't your run of the mill chatbots. We're talking natural language processing that can delve into your knowledge base, into the customer ticket histories and look at the different web product pages, your pricing pages, all of that kind of stuff and use natural language to deliver personalized and quite nuanced customer support. You don't have to be techie to 
deploy this either. It's quite simple to get started. You make sure you've got the tracking code on the website, and then you choose the assets that you want to to add in to the chatbot's knowledge effectively. So you would select all of the web URLs that you want to have included in its knowledge, and then it will just start talking to people with that knowledge. There were a few other bits as well worth noting. They launched uh, SMS marketing, which is finally now baked into the HubSpot product. That's not necessarily AI powered, but it's something that if you're a HubSpot user, you probably found yourself wondering about. On the sales side, the sales hub tools have had a complete redesign, which is focused more on prospecting, deal management, and forecasting. And AI is right at the core of that, where AI is surfacing insights and trying to automate some of the drudgery associated with reporting. Actually, that was one of the really neat demos that I saw. If you've ever tried to create a report in HubSpot, it can be quite frustrating. But what they've done is using prompts, you can now find the right report and it will generate it for you. So you can say, uh, show me the, uh, the, the sources, marketing sources of our leads from the past month, and it will create that report for you and you can add it to a dashboard. That's something that's been missing for a while. It's been a bit tricky to, to kind of get into. Um, there are a bunch of other features as well. Things like, um, customer support. So service hub now has an AI assistant that will summarize tickets and actually suggest responses. So if you've got a long customer query, or maybe you've gone back and forth with a customer and had lots of conversation, if a new rep is jumping into that ticket to offer support, they can, they can see a snapshot of what the issue was there. So they don't have to read reams of, of text. Um, overall, I think it's a really promising first step from HubSpot. Having seen the way that they've built the AI into the, the marketing hub in particular, it seems like they've taken, um, two design philosophies. One is the wizard based user interface. It will take you through a sequence of, of steps. So it will ask you to describe something and then it will ask you which option do you want? And then maybe give you another option with some variables at the end, and then you'll hit submit and it will generate all of that. It will just take all of that information, put it into a prompt and spit something out for you. Uh, and then there's a more in context editor. This is where you, if you're looking at the, the UI, um, so maybe you're um, creating a web page and you're writing some copy or the text box where you edit the copy will have um, okay, there'll be a button to start generating some content and it's a bit like Grammarly Go. If anyone has got the Grammarly Go Chrome plugin where you can use AI content creation anywhere in, in your browser, uh, it, it's sort of like that. So I'd say that HubSpot is laying some solid groundwork and the thing that's really exciting is when you speak to the product team and you can see that just on a personal level, you know, they're excited about the possibility of AI agents being kind of core to the background, uh, to the backbone of the HubSpot platforms. Having played with these tools a bit, they're not reinventing the wheel or revolutionizing anything. They're, it's, a, it's an evolution rather than revolution.
and the potential is what's grabbing everybody's attention and HubSpot's made some, some good inroads, but the, the future with AI agents potentially delivering entire campaigns and dealing with customer support tickets, that is where things look particularly promising. I've also had an opportunity to sit down with a few attendees at the conference as well. Here's uh, a couple of snippets, uh, taking you through what a few of the delegates thought of the announcements and really trying to get an insight into how they're using generative AI in their marketing activities. I'm here with Tash Cartwright, Omnichannel Marketing Manager and Luke McNaney, Content Lead at Student Roost, the UK's leading purpose-built student accommodation provider. Is, is that right? We're, we're one of the UK's leading. Yeah, there's a top three of us, but we are definitely in the top three. Don't want to overplay your role in the market <laughs> there. Um, yeah, we've just come out of Inbound 23, where the focus was all things AI. Um, what are your thoughts on the conference? Uh, it's my second time at Inbound. So I came back in 2016, um, completely different experience with a few more years of, of marketing under my belt. Um, attending kind of slightly different talks. I, I learned a, a load about um, kind of leadership styles, um, quite a bit about belonging. And then obviously the buzzword of the conference, which is is AI, HubSpot's AI system specifically, but also how I could start to integrate AI into my day-to-day -day job. Yeah, AI was uh, all pervasive right from the uh, opening keynote. Uh, Luke, as content lead, this must be something that's been on your mind for a while, particularly since ChatGPT launched. Is AI going to, to replace you? Uh, what are your thoughts now that you've been a bit more immersed in it? I think um, for me personally, it's been quite um, eye-opening and reassuring in a way, um, just because that there is that scepticism there from my part and what that means for my job and my career in the future. Um, I know it's something I've discussed with other people in the content world as well. Um, so to actually go to some talks and learn about how these tools can be, um, assistance, um, and actually help you to refine your ideas and your content, um, is something I'm really excited about going back to the UK and exploring in a lot more detail. Yeah. So we were talking off air and you were saying that you not really thrown yourself into using any of these tools at this point. Is that right? Yeah, not at all. So it is brand new to me. Um, obviously I'm, I'm aware of it and, um, it's something that's been at the periphery, but I haven't ha actually had any sort of active use. Um, I went to a couple of talks that were specifically revolving around AI. Um, obviously it was a bit of a like overarching concept and something that was touched upon in a lot of the different talks, whatever the topic was, but some specific ones around AI and just how it is really, um, how it can benefit and just an enable, um, anyone really writing content or delivering content in creating ideas in refining those ideas um, and just delivering in the same time as well. So it becoming a big resource. Yeah, I think that's the, the way to see it is, is as a tool rather than uh, a, a, a replacement. Um, in the omni-channel game, was there any uh, interesting developments in the HubSpot suite or any tools, any vendors that you spoke to at the conference that are doing anything interesting? Um. Omnichannel was a, it's a term that's been thrown around um, again more so in the most recent years. I think Neil Patel's talk um, is is 
first talk about the kind of the future um, when everybody's using AI, how to kind of stand out. Um, and he spoke about the the Where's Waldo effect, which obviously we'd call the Where's Wally effect, and that using kind of AI tools um, could end up meaning that we all just look like we're wearing red and white outfits. Um, however, he then lent into the fact that with with Omnichannel, it's we're, we're all trying to be absolutely everywhere at once, and especially in the in the student space, we we've we've it's that rule of seven, isn't it? You want you want people to have seen your brand seven times before they'll then come on and make a meaningful kind of action, whether that's converting or whether that's um, just, I guess, spending a little bit more time on there clicking about so we can collect some data on them. Um, but he did say that it's a lot better for us to be concentrating on exactly where they are uh, instead of trying to do loads and loads of di- different channels, maybe try a multi um, a different content, but on the same channels. So lessen your chan- channels, invest more money into those channels, but then start layering your content on those channels so that it's, they are, people are seeing different pieces seven times, but not necessarily in seven different places. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. I went to one talk with uh, uh, with Neil Patel where he was talking about email marketing and he was uh, talking about some A-B tests and hyper-personalized content. Actually, it wasn't A-B test, it was multivariant. And he was saying that they'd taken all of their customer data and created hyper-personalized emails. Every single recipient on their list got hyper-personalized. And he said this was an email list of about 1.5 million customers uh, or subscribers split it down the middle. Some people got the generic and 50%, so 750,000 people in each pool, uh, 750,000 people got hyper-personalized. And he said they ran this experiment four times to see which one got the highest uplift and the highest conversions. And uh, he said hyper-personalization at that level, completely unnecessary, doesn't deliver the return on investment. He said personalization, standard personalization that we're already doing is fine. You don't need to put the time, effort, and energy into uh, trying to make it hyper-personalized. So forward-looking then, going back into the office next week, what's the, what's the big takeaway? What are you taking back to Student Roost with you? I will probably hold my hands up and say that um, I'm quite different to who I was seven years ago when I, when I came to Inbound and that I, I've, I feel like I may have become the kind of marketer that I didn't want to be, which is where I'm trying new channels and I'm trying new things in the, in a safe space. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm leaning into Twitch. I'm trying all these these new cool channels that the, the students are using every single day. However, the idea of AI, I was, I was, I was leaning away from it. And, and actually, everything that I loved about my younger self and my and being more in my infancy in my career was that I, I just jumped into absolutely everything because I wanted to absorb it all. Um, Stephen Bartlett from the diary of a CEO, he, he spoke about leaning in and especially when it comes to kind of things like AI, which are, are it, it's going to transform and it is transforming our jobs every single day. The next five years are going to look really different for marketers. Um, if I continue to lean away from that, I'm going to get left behind. Um, and that's not where anybody needs to be. What we need to do is lean into it and use it in a way that's going to enhance what we want to do each day instead of actually going, okay, that looks scary and it's going to take my job. So I'm going to, I'm going to pit myself against it. Um, so I went to an, I went to MIT on on Tuesday before the conference start on Monday before the conference started, um, and I was walking around that AI exhibition going, nope, not not a chance. Whereas now I've ended the week and I've actually used ChatGPT to summarize a, a super long article about the new Google algorithm and send that over to my manager, and I'm excited to go back and see how I can use that. Oh, that's a fantastic use case, and lovely to see you diving into it, Luke. How about you? What are you taking back to the? to the office i think i also too will be taking the plunge um so i think what what just building on what tash said 
Um, it's just about embracing, I think, the opportunity there. So as someone who's going back to the office next week to start um, putting together the content strategy for the next um, student um, academic cycle, um, that I know full well that using AI tools is going to help me um, deliver on a lot of those outputs um, in a way that two weeks ago um, I would have really shied away from. Um, so I think just that in and of itself is a big gain. Fantastic. So leaning in, not leaning out is the message there. Well, thank you very much for your time today. And uh, I hope you join us on the show at a future date with updates about how you're using AI in your marketing. So I'm sat here with Joey from Tenshore. Uh, we're on day two of the event. Day one was all about AI, uh, big product developments. Uh, what was your take on it, Joey? Yeah, I honestly, the first thing that I took away was HubSpot didn't take AI lightly. I mean, they took a, an approach that was, hey, we're going to use generative AI across our platform, sales hub, marketing hub, CS hub, all of the hubs. We're going to figure out how to help people be efficient and effective with our tooling. Really, I think what it's doing is it's calling all the ISVs or the ecosystem that surround HubSpot to a higher uh you know, to a higher standard, like how are you guys going to leverage AI for your technology to uh, keep up to the standard we're setting for making lives easier, making, giving people the freedom to focus on what they need to focus on rather than all the menial tasks that they have to do in between. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about the, the kind of community around it. As we were walking through the exhibition hall there, we both observed that everyone's talking about gen ai mm -hmm. but in terms of actually having some deep integrations or interesting use cases yeah not a lot of it in the in the conference room floor there yeah no it's that's a good point i think it's i think it's because it's such a big topic everyone's talking about it everyone has an opinion as far as practical applications people building um, smart solutions within their software, innovating and creating customer-centric, customer-first um, products. No one's doing that right now. And I think it's for a couple of reasons. So the hype cycle, Corp's hype cycle, puts generative AI at the peak of inflated expectations. Um, and that makes it um, bound for the trough of disillusionment, right? And so I think it's accelerated. I think it's going much faster than Forbes had anticipated. Um, so we're quickly approaching trough of disillusionment. But what that means is people are expecting generative AI to do a lot and they're testing with it and trying to figure it out. But they're finding that there's a lot of roadblocks, a lot of things that generative AI is not capable of doing. And at the core of it, generative AI is just a, it's a small piece of the puzzle. It is not the it is not the um, the peak of AI, and it's not as broad as people expect it to be. And so tied properly with business systems, with other versions of like document AI, of vision AI, um, really utilizing a full like vertex AI platform, for example, you, like on the GCP, um, on, on GCP, it is... It's like a really small portion. It's actually, we're running free generative AI workshops, little half day workshops tailored to companies to help people identify just that. Like, how do you actually use generative AI in your business? Um, what are some real practical use cases that you can build, implement, and get rolling with today for software vendors trying to figure out how to use 
generative, generative AI in their um, software offerings and for like manufacturers, retailers, people who are like in their lane trying to figure out how to adopt a new technology and make it work for them and where it makes sense. And it's cheap. I mean, generative AI is cheap to run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're talking, if you're, if it's completely integrated in your business, every arm of your business is using it and using it really well. You're looking at a thousand, two thousand dollars of spend when it comes to like building your own um, generative AI solution using a Google or Amazon or Azure LLM. Um, yeah. So like do it, try it, keep working on it, iterate on it, like figure out a way to make generative AI work for you or talk to me and I can, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's very much what Tenshare does. Is that right? Yeah, so we're an IT consulting firm. We do cloud infrastructure, like everyone, right? We can we can uh, get you into the cloud. We can get you into a hybrid or multi cloud. We think multi cloud is amazing. It keeps people. It keeps cloud um, costs down. Big cloud cost optimization play there. So commodity plays though. We do data. Um, data is our specialty. Our, our specialty yeah. plays. So. Um, we do a lot with data from data lineage, data governance and security frameworks, all the way to building a prod ready AI environment. Um, and then we do applications, full stack software development, integration, modernization. Um, we work with some really big names in, uh, in the marketing industry specifically, we work with Intuit MailChimp. Um, but there's a lot of different applications that we're working on building, iterating on currently, um, and and all the talk is around AI, right? Yeah. How do we how do we introduce it into our um, culture, and how do we introduce it into our platform? So, yeah, that's what we do. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you and having you on artificially intelligent marketing. Enjoy the rest of your conference. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to artificially intelligent marketing. To stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, be sure to subscribe. We look forward to seeing you again next week.